Welcome to the Sanctus NYC Message Podcast. We are the young adult community of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, built on the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Join us today as we look to God to lead us into the fullness of the life that he has for us. Amazing job. I could sit and keep, keep worshiping God for another hour. Um, well, if I could, I just want to, on behalf of our church, Pastor Simbola, Carol, the leadership, you know, it's such a privilege for us to be able to help put this on. Everybody in here, uh, in some way, has been blessed by the church. So some of you have been given, like, just a free freebie weekend, right? How many like freebie weekends? I do. Free is for me. But everybody else in here, even if you paid something, this has been subsidized by the church. Why would the church take their resources to subsidize a weekend that you might not otherwise be able to have if... uh, we didn't do this. Like, why, why would the church do that? Church would do it because the people who are a part of it, their lives have been touched by the love of God. And you can't receive love. Love is a giving thing. It's not an emotion. It's an act of sacrifice. It's something that comes out and says, I will deny myself for the betterment of another person. And so everybody here is the beneficiary, whether you realize it or not, of sacrifice. But not just financial sacrifice. We're all here because of a sacrifice that was made 2,000 years ago. Because that sacrifice has rippled down through the ages and has passed from one person to another to bring us where we are. I'm here today because of the ripple effect of someone sacrificially living in a way that gave me a picture of Jesus. And so it's our hope that everybody in here, this isn't just a cool weekend to have, a fun place. Listen to everybody jumping off the, the second floor of the little pavilion out there. Um, Everybody, woohoo, this is awesome. This singing is amazing, right? But why would we do this? We are praying. And people that you don't even know, that you may never meet, hundreds of people, thousands of people praying that this weekend would be something so special for you. That there would be such an impression left on your lives that whatever a weekend is, you may forget about. But the impression would stir you into eternity. That's what I'm hoping with my, try to be brief, just comments, just about what is most valuable in our life. And it is the love of God. It's the love of God. You know, my son is about to have a baby, which means I'm going to be a granddaddy. Yeah. I can't wait. Timmy's little baby, Timmy, who's up here playing. He's uh, from a church down in Maryland. He's got one, and he's got one in his arms, right? That little guy, I was holding him earlier, and I'm like, I can't even wait. Oh, I can't wait until I get to hold my grandson. And you know, I I was reading something uh, not too long ago, and I read this. I think it was so interesting. It says, first words that come out of a baby's mouth, what do you think they are? How many say dada? All the dudes say dada. All the ladies say mama. Scientific study, actual proof, facts here. Daddy is the word that comes out of almost every kid's mouth. First off, there can be exceptions. There can be exceptions, but this is scientifically, it's a study. And it's not just an American thing because D is easier than M. It's cross-culturally. It's in Mandarin. It's in Cantonese. It's in Arabic. It's, it, daddy comes out of a child's mouth more often than mom. First word. I think that's interesting. 
You can say, well, it's just, it's the way speech forms on the tongue. You can think that. It could be, well, no, the kid, I read this, somebody was saying, no, it's, I read a bunch of different things on this. No, it's, it's the kid bonding with the mother. They think they're one, and so they don't identify with mom because they're, they feel like that's, they're part of the same, like, being almost. I'm like, no, nah, that's, I don't know, I don't. <laughs> sounds, sounds a little weird. What sounds right to me is this. God has put eternity in our hearts, and that eternity cries out for the, the father of eternity. And the first words that come out of a kid's mouth are, to me, a prophetic utterance of what should be coming out of our mouths as we grow and as we live and as we become all that we're supposed to be. There is a Father in heaven who... who desperately, desperately loves you. Well, why doesn't that imagery keep playing out? Why don't people grow in it? Well, some people are raised with no father to show them that there's a father beyond them that they're just supposed to be representing some people may have that maybe it gets twisted through some sort of religious kind of a context where the image of a father in heaven that gets painted is one that is just like i don't know if that's what he's like i just waiting for lightning bolts to be slung and i'm trying to run and duck and hide from him because i'm not everything i'm supposed to be you know when jesus came in to do his ministry for three and a half years. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those books that you capture his, his biography in. Those books, there's about 178 times, if you count, of Jesus referring to his father. And when he referred to his father, that was a little unusual because when he's referring to his father, he's talking about God. And in a Jewish context, the name of God couldn't even be uttered. It was Y-W... Uh, yeah, Yahweh, but you couldn't say it because there was no vowels. And, and they didn't want to get it wrong, so they actually substituted Adonai for, for the word because to say it and misrepresent it would be to... Well, it's blasphemous. It's misusing the, the, the name of God. You don't want to dishonor the name of God. So they just avoided it altogether. His name was so holy, so unapproachable. God stood in such a, a, a far-removed context, like we were reminded of this morning. God's holy. He's not like anything that we have in this world. Our understanding of his holiness is only understood through the context of a dim glass of, as we're trying to look through it, a dim glass of our own fallen nature and a fallen world that blurs, and we, we don't even get the holiness of God. And these guys that were the religious establishment of the day, they're like, yeah, no, no. Jesus, you can't come along and be talking about him as your father. Like, that's blasphemous. First of all, you're identifying yourself with him in like some sort of close union that you now are getting things confused, like you and your father are one, which he said they were. He said a lot of things that troubled him. For God so loved the world, the father so loved the world that he sent his son into this world that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the invisible God. What? Then that's getting serious. Like now he is identifying himself with God. And as he grew in his ministry and as he continued to talk about the fatherhood of God, it made, it made the religious establishment more and more uncomfortable because it exposed them for this misperception that they had. They, they were right in a way. I mean, God is holy and he's unapproachable, but he's not just that. The full revelation of him is he's a father. The, the maturity of the Christian faith is found in somebody getting to a place where they understand God, not just as God, not just as Lord, as, as Father. Like Jesus came to reveal the fatherhood of God. 
So when that little baby first word comes out, Dada, it actually is a picture of what Jesus used of his own father. He didn't just say, Father. He said, Abba, Father. Like, dear daddy, father. Like, the, the intimacy of it, of like a little kid saying, like little Charlotte over here who's sitting in here, she's daddy, daddy this, daddy that. Like, the endearment that she has for me as this little thing is kind of the same way that Jesus was using the word which offended the establishment because they didn't get it. And I think we sometimes struggle with getting it. I don't know what your context is. I don't know how you were raised. I don't know if it's in church, out of church. I don't know if you had a poor father that helped you to understand or not understand what this invisible God is like. But I want to tell you this. God is a father and he wants to be your father. And if you put your hope in Jesus, you've got to grow in understanding what that means. And I promise you, if you do that, Luke was quoting a passage of scripture that says, perfect love casts out all fear. Oh, God is, the Father is perfect love. The Father, it's not just some feeling that casts out fear. Feeling doesn't cast out feeling. The personhood of God casts out whatever the things are that we struggle with. And when you understand the audience that you have with your heavenly Father, who is nothing but pure love, and you bask in the presence of your Father, life changes. And I'm praying tonight, whatever my feeble words are, that God would use the truth of what we're going to give some focus to, that somehow by his spirit, you would be, you forget about the weekend, you forget about whatever, but you would not forget that you have a heavenly father that is waiting and longing for you to come into his presence. You were made for his presence. You were made for his presence. You were made for your father and for his love. And when you respond, to it. Oh my goodness, do things change. Things change. Everything changes in the presence of your father. That might be a little weird thing for somebody that didn't have a dad like me growing up to make sense of. I grew up in a way where my dad was, well, I won't get into it in this moment, but it was a mess. And it wasn't just dad, it was an adopted dad. And then it was a biological dad. And then I've had stepfathers and all of them. When I put them all together, and when I was growing up, I grew up Catholic. And growing up Catholic, every week you'd have to walk into church, you'd have to say the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I got to a point in my life, by the time I was 15, 16, 17 years old, I couldn't even say Father because of the distortion that I had in my head. If that's God, I want nothing to do with him. I can't identify with him as a father. No way. Not interested. Maybe some of you can connect with that. Maybe your father abandoned you. Maybe your father mistreated you. I've counseled enough people to know. Look in jails. You know 90% of the people in jail come from a home with no father? You think that's by coincidence? Are you kidding me? You think that's some cultural thing or do you think it's spiritual? No, it's a spiritual thing. So, I have your attention good. What I want to do is I want to take a second and I just want to, I want to remind you, you might be sitting here and you go, I don't know if I'm ever going to come back to another retreat. Why do they talk so much about, you know, God and the scripture? Here's the truth why. You and I, the way that we view life, it's warped, it's distorted because of how you viewed, how life has played out for you, the way that you've filtered things because of it. um, We don't see things right. And the word of God is right and true. The only truth that exists 
You can say, oh, no, it's God's word. It's the only thing after 35 years of being a Christian as a 53-year-old man, the only thing I know to be absolutely spot-on true is not some Darwinian idea of what life is. It's the words that come from the mouth of the Father. The only things that can be trusted is that. So I want to take a second. I want to remind you of what the Father says about himself so that you and I can get to a place where if it leaves an impression, it would stir us in a way that when we wake up tomorrow, as we go through whatever we're going to face tomorrow, as we go through what we're going to face when we go back, that that impression of this Father who's beckoning you into his presence would leave such an impression that you wouldn't run from him, that you wouldn't think he was indifferent, but that you would run to him because you know he's waiting. He's not just waiting to not help. He's waiting to be all that you need. So, Let's take a look at this scripture. This scripture, they're going to put it up here on the screen. We can read it together. This one, it says this. This is, to, this is to a Christian in here. I just want to start with this. It says, and because we are his children, God has, spent, has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Crying out, Abba, Father. This isn't like crying, like, oh, God, I pray that you would help me out of this mess I've created for myself. When it's talking about crying out, Abba, Father, here, it literally is the same word that was used for Jesus when Jesus was entering into Jerusalem. And there were people screaming and crying out and shouting, Hosanna in the highest. They were so excited that their Messiah was coming home to sit on the throne. And they thought everything was about to change. And it was just not the way that they felt. Or they thought and they expected. But they were crying out. They were throwing things on the ground, taking their cloaks off, throwing it down. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. The kind of cry that came out was a cry of joy. It was a cry of excitement. It was a cry of wonder, like what is about to go down? You're a Christian here today. I wonder, does that cry come out from your heart? When you think about whatever you're facing, when you're going down the trial and the, whatever the trails are of your life as you're going through it, is there something that stirs up inside of you? My father, he is with me. He is not going to forsake me. He'll never leave me to the end. He's going to provide. He's going to make a way. He loves me. And it becomes a, like a, a song of celebration from your heart. That's my father. My father abandoned me, dumped my mom and I, wasn't really my dad, still didn't, didn't know that at the time, didn't take the, the sting away. I can sometimes go, really, dad, are you, the father, are you still there? I'm nothing like what you knew. We've got to get to a place where we rejoice in this. I wonder today, when you consider God as your father, do you rejoice in it? Does it stir wonder and excitement and awe and all the different expressions and words you can use for what that father's going to be to you? Are you walking in fear? Are you walking in discouragement? Are you walking wondering whether he cares about your next step? He cares more about your next step than you do. He cares more about your brokenness in the depths of pain that you think that you've experienced. We're going to find out in a second. He knows it even more than you. And he's done stuff for you so that that can be made a comfort and a solace and a healing to you. But I just want to say, if you're a Christian in here today, or maybe you think you're a Christian and you've never had that kind of a stirring in your heart where you say, 
God is for me. He loves me. He's my everything. I celebrate his goodness in my life. That's what commands me. I can't help but cry out about the goodness of my father. It's the way we're supposed to live. That would make evangelism so easy. People walk around, they can't shut up about their father. Like, what are, what are, why are these people talking about how great this God is? He's like a father to them? Yeah, and he's amazing. Everybody was made for a father. That eternal thing that's in everybody's heart gets stirred by those kind of declarations and that kind of excitement. It bears witness to somebody like, that's real. That's right. And maybe, I remember when I first got saved, Jesus came to me and changed my heart in a way where I thought, this is unreal. Like the day seems brighter. The weight that I was walking around is no longer quite as overwhelming. Like, what is this? This is wild. Like Jesus has made God's love real in me. If you gave me two seconds, I would corner you and just tell you about his wonder. I couldn't help it. It was made alive in me. That's not because of me. You realize that's, that's, that's not my temperament. That's not just who I am. That's the reality of what should be happening in every person's life that knows God as a father. That's supposed to be normalcy for you and I. I'm just asking a question before we get into any more scripture. Is that your testimony? Is that how you feel? No? Okay, well, let's talk about that because I think by taking a second to look at some scripture here, it's going to encourage you. And if, and if I've been in that position where that just has come out, it's been so natural. It's like, Hosanna in the highest. I got a father who is everything. I've been in that position, but then I've also been in a position where my head's been down. I wondered if he even cared. This is as a Christian and I've forgotten his goodness. And as a result, my, my days are down and they're full of fear and they're full of whatever. We've all, haven't we all done that? Have you done that? Well, how do you pull yourself out of that hole? You got to remind yourself of who God says he is. You can't, you can't go by what you think and what you feel and what your perspective is. Your thoughts, your feelings, and your perspective, they're garbage. They're garbage. Paul said, I count everything as lost. Everything is garbage, except for one. One thing and one thing alone, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ crucified. That's what I want to give attention to. And it comes from a story, a parable. In Luke, in the 15th chapter, verses 20 through 24, let's look at that really quick. It says this. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son and he embraced him and he kissed him. His son said to him, Father, no, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer even worthy to be called your son. But his father said to his servants, quick, quick, bring the finest robe in the house, which was probably his own. Put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine who was dead is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. The party began. Father throws the party over a kid's life. Make 
might make sense to you. If you don't know this story, that might make sense. If this, this son like went to Harvard on a full ride, did amazing, got a, you know, a, a $10 million a year job, bought his dad a house, comes rolling home and is like, pops, I'm hooking you up. Like, this is all good. Look at, look, look at what God has done. That's like, that's my son. Let's throw a party. Get the robe, get the ring. It's not the story of this son. The story of this son, this son basically says to his dad, you got a lot. I'm not interested in a relationship. Just die already and give it to me. Dishonor, disrespect, beyond. But he wants to be as the God of his own life, and he wants to use the resources that the Father has blessed him with to live it out in a way that he can get something out of. And he does it to the point where he spends it all and loses everything and is eating with pigs. And while he's eating with pigs, and the pigs are eating better than him, the story goes on, he comes to the senses and goes, I'm an idiot. Oh, my God. Like, at least my father's servants are doing better than me. I'll go home. I won't be a son anymore, but at least I'll just go home. And I'll just, like, try to earn back what I took from him and wasted. What's the father do when he sees his son coming from afar? He takes off running. His heart full of compassion. Let's just talk about compassion for a second. What is compassion? It's taking on pity and having sorrow for the plight and condition of another person. I don't know what you've been through, right? But if some of you started to tell me your story, I've done this long enough that it might start to stir something inside of me because I've lived long enough to know the pain that life can roll out on people. And I don't like the pain for myself. I never did. And I can have sympathy and empathy for you because, listen, we're not all that different. Right, So if you're suffering, that can create a suffering feeling for me, and I don't want to see you suffer, and, I, and I, I'm stirred by like a feeling of brokenness for you. That's not the complete picture of what this father, I'm, and right now what we're doing is we're focusing on a father's heart for you. What's the father's heart like? How many of you think he might feel as he looks at your life, he might see some disappointment and just look, look at you and go, what a... What a regret that was. What was I thinking when I made them? Look at what they've done with what I've given them. They squandered their life. They did what? No. He looks and he has compassion on you. Why? Here's a little bit of my story. So I said some things. So my mother had an affair with my dad's best friend. I was the result of the affair. My dad growing up, who I thought was my dad, had three other kids that were all older than me. Did I know that he loved them? Well, I knew that he loved them. My problem wasn't that he loved them. My problem was that he didn't love me. Now, as a little kid trying to make sense of all of that, I couldn't wrap my head around it because I'm watching you love them, but I know you hate me, but I don't know why you hate me. And they're a little older than me, and by the time they get to a point where they can leave home, my dad's like, okay, I'm done with you. I'm going to go start another family. I'm going to start having other kids. See you later. And he didn't just bail. He bailed and didn't take care of my mother, and he didn't take care of me. And so we went from having a whole lot to having a whole little. And my mother had to figure out how to go back to school. My mother had to figure out how to make money so that she could take care of herself and she could take care of me. And all the while, I'm like, why does this guy hate me? Like, that's not a very good feeling. You think there's a father in heaven, if he's everything that I'm saying, would look upon my situation and just be indifferent about it? Or if he is loving, do you think he had compassion on me? Like, look at what this boy was born into. Look at the brokenness that's being imposed on him. 
Look at what that's doing to the way that he views himself and he views life and how he's going to begin to respond to it. Because you know this, every one of you have your own story like me. You've been broken by life. How many of you have been broken in some way by life? Rest of you are sleeping or lying. <laughs> life breaks everybody. I don't care what the outside of a family looks like. I've done enough counseling to know this. Behind every smile is a broken heart. And Jesus came for the brokenhearted, so that means he came for all of us. And he came for me because he couldn't take the condition that my brokenness and my suffering would leave me with. So he stepped into time. He stepped into reality that I live in to come alongside me to begin to suffer with me. You know, it took suffering for Jesus. When you think about what compassion and mercy are, they're, they're the sense of suffering that God begins to feel in his heart because of your condition. But it's not just him like from afar, from a throne going like, yeah, well, that stinks to be them and then my heart's broken for him. That, that's not very commendable. What's commendable is his heart was broken to the point where he engaged. See, love comes running. Jesus came into the world and he said, the father has sent me that if you would believe in me, you would find salvation. Salvation from what? Salvation from brokenness, sin, and suffering. He came into the world to rescue you from your brokenness, the stuff that was done to you and the stuff that you've done as a result of how to make sense of life. Wait, God even has suffering on the stupidity that I use to try to navigate my way through life? Why are some of you stuck with, maybe you drink, maybe you get high? Maybe you sleep around. You, you can't even remember how many people you slept with. You eat food. You can't stop. You watch porno online. It's just got you. Or maybe it's not that serious. Maybe you just binge watch and you just can't, you, you, you can't handle the reality that you're in. So you just escape and you go into some Netflix sub-reality and you just live there. And all your hours are logged there. Why do you do that? You're just trying to figure out how to cope and deal with the pain of your own suffering. Do you not think God has, like, pity for that? He's not just looking at what was imposed on you and has pity for it. He's looking at what you do with what's been imposed on you in the stupid way that you try to make sense of it and says, I have pity on that. Like, God has mercy on you. He loves you to the point where he engaged and he came running. He sent his son into the world to represent his heart to you and I in the lost condition that we find ourselves in. I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for what that meant for me at 18 years old when I picked up a Bible and I started to read about Jesus and I started to realize, wait, you don't have to convince me I was a sinner. I'd go to Mass every week and be like, oh my God, sorry, last night, the night before, and what's going to roll out the door when I say amen? Like I, I, I was up to my eyeballs and stuff I shouldn't be involved with and it had a hook in me and it, it, it commanded me because it's all I could do to figure out how to cope with the pain of my own suffering in my own existence. And then I read about Jesus and then I read about that he came into this world to deal with the root of my suffering. See, the root of my suffering isn't what somebody's done. The root of my suffering is my sin. Sin is the problem. Everybody, when you go back to your room tonight, when you wake up in the morning, you look in the mirror, Look in the eyes of someone who's trapped by sin. Well, that's not very nice. I don't want to come here and spend money to have you tell me I'm a sinner. I mean, listen, it is the truth. And whether you want to be reminded of it or not, just look at what you do. 
And tell me, do you not do things consistently that you know you shouldn't do? They're just in your conscience, you know it's not right, but you find yourself doing it, and you can't stop. Proof, sin's power is real. Proof, you need a Savior. And that Savior has such compassion on you that he came to do for you what you couldn't do for yourself, which is what? Live the life that's perfect. Why did he have to come and live in the flesh in a perfect way? Because he knew you and I could never do it. And so he had to actually do for us the very thing to live right before God so that he could give us his righteousness so that we would be right before God so that we could actually have a relationship with God because God doesn't compromise who he is. He's a loving father, but he's holy. And that's where you have to be careful, some of you, when you talk about God being like Abba Father and you do some study, you're like, well, that just means daddy. And so you kind of make it very casual. It's just like my daddy does this and my daddy does that. And, I, and it's like you're bossing your daddy around. He's God. Like, have some respect. Like, there's, there's like, he's my father, and he tenderly loves me with everything that he's got. But it's not like some, you know, like, laid-back California man, just sort of whatever. And, like, he just goes along with it. No, no offense to anybody from California. <laughs> he's holy, but he's loving. And he loves you. And he sent his son into the world to take your sin. And when you take that sin, and when you accept the gift, see, Here's the truth. Every person in here is an orphan. No, I'm not. I know my mother and my father. I don't, I, I, there's a father that I have that I don't know. I've been orphaned in a way. No, no, orphans are people that they don't have a mother and a father. No, listen, sin has orphaned us all from God. Here's the truth. You're visiting. You're here for the retreat. You, you think like, no, nah, it's all good. Like, I'm going to try really hard and God's going to, he's going to like, I'm going to try hard enough. He's going to let me back in the family. No, no, no. Your sin will keep you from the family. And there's no way that you can live up to make up for what it is. This record is what it is. And you have a record and that record keeps you from a holy God. And so Jesus came to take an orphan home to the heart of God. And the only way an orphan makes it back in is through the bridge, through the door of Jesus. Jesus said, the Father says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You will never know the Father except through me. Well, how can Jesus make such an exclusive claim? Why can't Muhammad say that? Why can't Buddha say that? Why can't the 300 million Hindu gods say that? Because they never claimed to be God. Jesus claimed to be God. The only one who could make it right with God was God. And he came so that he could take on your flesh, understand your experience, enter into your suffering so that if you would trust him, he would begin to help you. Now listen, that's incredible news because he's doing that for you and I when we don't even really want him. There's some of you, I've been a Christian longer than most of you have been alive. Do you know how many times in my life I've turned my back on my savior? I don't say that proudly, it's just what it is. And yet he knew I would do that before he ever saved me. And yet he's so committed in his mercy and his compassion to my experience that he's saying, I'm not going anywhere. And I can't go anywhere because the righteousness, the close, right? Let's just jump into this the second part of this little passage. When the father comes running for the son because the son turns, you will never make it through the door of salvation and into becoming a child of God. You will never cross over that bridge until you repent. Did the father's heart change for his son when he left? He loved him when he left, and he, he loved him when he came back. He loved him. It had nothing to do with the son, who, who the father was. He loves, not because of who you are. He loves because of who he is. Your little life can't change his love. But what will change your experience of his love is to repent. 
And repentance just means I'm going to stop doing it my way and start trusting his way. We all do it our way. And then I'm going to move on. You are a sinner. That just means this. You do life, your terms, your, your way to get what you think is best out of life. You're becoming your own God. And when you do that, God goes, there's not two of us. Let me know when you're done. And when you're done and you go, oh, I want to return to the heart of a father. That father has already said his son. Jesus is kind of the heart of the father running to you and I. And when he ran to us, he went to a cross. He ran to a place called Calvary and he took on your sin and he took on your shame and he exchanged it for his perfect life for your imperfect life. So when you come running home and you're like, this is how you, this is how, this, for some of you that need to just be clear about this, you're not, you're not in the family of God just because you have thoughts about God. You're not in the family of God because you pray. You get into the family of God if any of this is true because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And you put your hope in what he did on Calvary, died for your sins so that an exchange could be made. He took your sins so that you could have his righteousness. And that right standing before God is what allows the Father to embrace you. See, the Father ran after him because he knew he had repented and he loved him and he put his arms around him. And when he put his arms around him, he put his arms around him and he wanted to then begin to impose into his life what he's always purposed for him, which is what? Right standing before him. He got, go find, the, go find, listen to me, your father, if you would trust in him, there's nothing you've done, there's nothing that you'll ever do that'll undo your right standing before God because Jesus is your living righteousness. He, when God looks at you, he has to look at his son. Your life gets filtered through his son and there is no shadow in him. So if you hide in him, then the father has to look at you through him. And when he looks at you through him, you are, it's a picture, you're decked out with some righteous duds. You've got, you've got robes of righteousness. And there's nothing that can ever change that. I didn't get one amen from that, but listen to me. <laughs> listen to me. Your hope in Jesus, as you've trusted him to save you, is the Father can never, ever change his view of you. Tomorrow, you're going to go back home. And trust me, you're going to stumble. You're going to fail. And when you do, you're going to be tempted by an enemy to go, oh, I can't look up. I just had a great weekend. What the world just happened? How did I go back to that stupid thing? And the father's going, stop. Come here. No, 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 no. Don't, don't look down. Don't run away. Come here. Let me love this out of you. See, the, the robes of righteousness are the things that allow God to embrace you. And if it's going to get out of you, it's going to get out of you through his love. It's in his kiss. It's in his embrace. It's in his hug. It's in him looking in the eyes going, you're still my son. You're still my daughter. That'll never change. Open your heart. Receive my love. That's a choice. It's a choice you have to make, but it's a choice you have to be mindful of. God has given you, if you put your hope in him, he's given you clothes of righteousness. Nothing will ever change that. I think that's something worthy of applauding God for, thanking him for it. Jesus, thank you for what you've given me. It'll never change. You'll never be before a father in heaven. You're going to get a new body. You're going to get a new package to be able to live out eternity, and it's going to be perfect. But your standing in heaven will never be different than it is right now. If you put your hope in Jesus, your righteousness will never change. It'll never become more. It'll never become less. It's just what it is, perfect and accepted by God.
Thank you, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Second thing is this. He was given a ring, wasn't he? What's so special about a ring back in the day? This is, this is the Father's heart for you. Ring symbolized authority. Ring symbolized um, your ability to legally represent your father in this world. That ring represented, not everybody had a, a ring, but that ring represented there's some riches behind it too. So it represented riches that have been invested into you. It represents authority. It represents power. It represents the ability for you to engage this world in a way that allows the full meaning of that life to be at your discretion, to be used by you so that the Father's interest can be represented. That's not a little thing. You're like, I don't, I don't see a ring. Where's my ring? It's a picture. The, the, the seal of your salvation is the spirit of God that's been given to you. That spirit is your authority. That spirit is your riches. The spirit of God is the one that has the power to help you with whatever you're facing. And that spirit is with you until you're taken home. He is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will always try to fight with you, through you, in faith to see all that Jesus has for you come to pass. He is with you to the end. But if you don't believe that, some of you in here as Christians are, you're caught up in sin, right? You could have come here with your girlfriend and you're sleeping with her. Yeah, we love each other. Uh, it's called immorality. And that, that's actually, you're sleeping with somebody that God's not like, that's all right. But I can't help it. Fair enough. Sin's got power. I can't, I can't tame. But he's given you his signet authority, his spirit in your life to help you live this life out in the most godly way. The Father is so for you that he's given you everything that you need in this life to live it out in a way that will bring blessing to you, that will bring honor to his name, and that will advance his cause in this world. His spirit will never leave you or forsake you. Now, you can exercise that authority in your life if you're struggling with something and go, in Jesus' name, I am going to stand and hold my ground. I'm not going to look at that thing anymore. I'm not going to, my, my tongue is not just going to go talking about people in ways it shouldn't be talking about people. I'm not going to lust over this or I'm not going to get high over there. Like his power is with me to help me to overcome. That authority is mine and in Jesus' name, I'm going to exercise it. The Father has empowered you and given you authorization to live for Jesus. Can't change. Last thing, you put some sandals on him, no? What are sandals about? You know what I think is so special about a room full of young people like this? You've got your life ahead of you. And what I think is so amazing about a father's heart, I, one of the joys of my life as a dad you know, not growing up with a dad, I was just like, I want to be a dad. I, I might not have been able to be on the receiving end of what sonship's supposed to look like, but I want to be on the delivering side of like what f being a father is supposed to be. And one of the great joys of being a dad is watching my kids grow into what God's purposed them to be. Like I sit and watch and I just think, God, you're amazing. You're amazing. And you could ask them, I, I think they would freely confess this. They know I would do absolutely anything to help them with whatever they felt like God called them to do. I'd cheerlead them, I'd resource them. I would, 
I, I would lay down so that they could walk across me to get where they need to go. Like that's what the heart of a parent is. I don't know what the purposes are for them, but I've spent their life trying to make investment into them so that they could walk into what God's called them to. Why am I saying this? Because there's a father in heaven who considered your life, who considered how you would be put together, who considered the place that you'd be born into, understood all the brokenness that you would receive, but figured out a way that you would work through it, that you'd be able to use it and capitalize on it in a way where you would know him more and through whatever you've been through, be able to make him known in ways that only you could make him known. He's got a purpose for your life. He's got some direction and some destiny that he's trying to walk you into. God cares about the steps that you take. He's given you these sandals that would help you to walk out his purpose. You know, a slave, back in the day, they would take the sandals from the slave. Why would they do that? So the slave couldn't run away. It's kind of hard to run if your feet are getting jammed up. You can't run as swift as you could if you had some sandals and shoes on. So slaves were always shoeless. But the children of the king, they got shoes because they got kingdom purposes they're supposed to be busy with. And that kingdom purpose, listen, my brother and sister, whatever you want to do, whatever you aspire to, I don't know what you want to get paid for. It's irrelevant. I don't care. And God doesn't care what you get paid for. Oh, are you serious? No, I want to be a doctor. I'm going to get paid a lot. Good. Use it for the kingdom of God. But he's not calling you to be a doctor because there's something special about being a doctor. Through being a doctor, you'll be able to minister to souls. Being a doctor, you'll be able to touch people's heart in a vulnerable way like nobody else could. Forget about how much money you get paid. You'll be able to impart the resources of eternity into a a vulnerable soul in a moment of crisis. That is invaluable. I want to be a teacher. Good. God bless you. Don't go along with the DOE's program. I got to clap on that one. I'm afraid to put my kids in public school. No disrespect to any teachers. But you understand what I'm saying. But in that position, if God's called you and put you in that place, then what's he called you there to do? To instruct the heart, to impart wisdom, and to be a, a light to them that helps them see, not two plus two is four, but that there's a God behind the two plus two and, and what equals four that loves them and cares about them. The difference that you can make being a, a, a teacher in the life of a kid is invaluable. It's a calling. It's not about reading and writing and arithmetic. Purpose is this. Every one of you has been called and set apart by God. Your father has clothed you. He's resourced you. And he wants to release you. And he's watching over your, your, your footsteps. Some of you are losing peace. Like, well, I don't know if I'm taking, should I go left? Should I go right? Listen, just stay where you are until he instructs you. He'll instruct you because he loves you. He cares more about your next step than you ever will. His glory is wrapped into the steps that you take. When you fulfill the purpose that you, you were made for, you glorify him. He cares. The cross isn't just about forgiveness of sin. It's about you fulfilling what he's called you to do. He cares about it. There's value to it. I hope you see the value in it. This father that has invested so much into you, the life of his son, the resource of his spirit, and the wisdom of some plan that he's got for you to live and walk out. All that together, listen, that's life. There's nothing more than that. And that's because there's a father in heaven 
who desperately loves you. As Luke was saying before, he's pleading with you. I'm just a guy. I'm trying my best to use words in the heart that he's given me to remind you of how much he desperately cares to help you. But the truth is this. All I've done is try to remind you of what God's word says. You have to open your heart to it. If you don't open your heart, you'll never know the truth of what I'm saying. It doesn't happen against your will. What kind of a loving father would impose on you something that you don't really want? Wouldn't be love anymore, would it? It'd be tyranny. He's not a tyrant. He's a merciful father. And he wants to show you mercy today. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. I know appeals have been made, but I have to be faithful with this opportunity that I've been given. If you're here and you say, I want to know the love of God in the way that you're talking about. Not just an idea, but experientially. I want to know that he's there. I want to know that he cares. I want to know his word is true, but his word is alive and active. It's supposed to bring life to my soul. And these are ideas that I believe are true, but I want it to be true in my experience. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to stand up right now. I want to pray over you. I want to pray that God's love would be made alive in you like never before. I'm going to pray. I'm standing. I'm, I, I need to know that love. I've been walking in it in 35 years. I want to know it more. It's infinite. It's eternal. There's depths to it that I'll never, I'll never know in this world. But I want to know it more. Do you? Do you want to be settled by the heart of your father and his love. That could be, I've never received it. I don't even know what you're talking about, but I, I understand what you're talking about, Jesus and him being God's gift to me, and I can respond to that. I don't want to be an orphan anymore. I'll respond to that. Or maybe it's just, I need that love that settles me, that drives out fear that settles my future. I, I need that experiential touch from him that says, I don't have to worry about tomorrow. My father's already thought it through. I need that love to meet me in a way that binds up the brokenness in my heart. I'm still reeling from what was done to me. I can't undo the pain that was inflicted upon me. And all I feel is pain. I can believe in a savior, but I need his touch. I need his touch to heal those deep wounds of my heart. By his stripes, I find healing. But I don't know that healing. I want to know that healing so I don't continue to walk because of my past into my future. I don't want my past to control my present. God, meet me. Touch me. By the loving touch of your healing hand, change me. Maybe sin has got a hook in you that you can't break. You love God, but you're back and forth. You're like, it's like a ping pong match. One day it's like, oh God, I love you. And you, the next day it's you're running from him. And you need your heavenly father with the fullness of his might to break chains that he's able to break. Whatever the application. Or here's, here's another one and then I'm done. This is what I've been praying lately. 
God, I know I was made for your presence. God, I don't always feel like running to you. But you being the only one who really loves me, why do I run to other things or just sit on my hands? God, stir my heart. Provoke whatever you need to provoke in me. Stir love up inside of me that the thing I I live for at the beginning of a day, at the end of a day, through my day, is your presence. I was made for your presence. God, help it to become alive in me. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters who are standing. I thank you because you know you have compassion on them. You've entered into their experience. Jesus is the Savior. You came to show us that the heart of the Father is to identify with our suffering. Whatever it is that they need, God, you already know about. You know what the answer is. You know what the problem is better than they know. I thank you that as they stand, they can stand in the light of your love and receive all that you long to give. I pray in this moment, God, as they're standing in faith, opening their heart, reaching out to you, God, that heaven would open up, that love would be poured out, and that, God, they would be marked tonight, that they would be marked into their tomorrows with your love in a way that becomes life-defining. God, I thank you that we don't have to pry anything out of a, a loving Father's hand. You freely want to give. So we have to beg for it. But in faith, as we ask for it, we begin to thank you for all that you'll do. I want to ask you to do this, and then maybe they'll close with a song. I'm going to ask everybody else to stand up. Even though you didn't stand, my words tonight were for you. They were for me. We have to be reminded that there's a Father that loves us. There's a Father who's running in mercy toward us. There's a Father who's clothed us in His righteousness. There's a Father who's given us a signet ring of authority and power that He wants us to walk in. Out the purposes and plans He has for our life that we would fulfill what we're here for and that we would walk out His love and make it known in the world we're in. I'm going to ask you to do this. If you're here with your wife, you can pray with your wife. If you're here as a dude, don't find a girl that you want to ask out. (laughs) Find a brother. Sister, you find a sister. I want you to begin to pray over each other's life that God would make his love alive like never before in that person. Pray over them that God would open up heaven and make that love real. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. To connect with us, visit our ministry page at brooklyntabernacle.org or you can follow us on our Instagram at sanctusnyc.org.